This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on generalised anxiety disorder. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. Generalised anxiety disorder is common. The lifetime prevalence is between 1 and 7%. The condition can run a chronic course and can be associated with many different problems, including overuse of healthcare resources and substance misuse and depression. To give us more details about this condition and what we can do about it, we have on the line Dr. Chris Gale, Senior Lecturer at the Department of Psychological Medicine, University of Utago. And importantly, Chris is author of our BMJ Best Practice topic on this condition. So Chris, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking, what exactly is generalized anxiety disorder? Generalized anxiety disorder is overwhelming and disproportionate worry about multiple areas of one's life. It is more worry than fear and panic, but it is causing the person continual distress and is often preoccupying them, leading to, to them having significant distress. And the worry is out of proportion to what is going on in their life. Thank you. And how do you make the diagnosis? I think the simplest question is, do you worry about a lot of things? And if they say yes to that question, then can you give me an example, a bit of open questioning, and get a sense of how much it is troubling them? There are a lot of physical symptoms such as fatigue, jitteriness, anxiety, muscular pains, gastrointestinal upset that people can be talking about and when you ask them about the worry they might make a connection to the worry. You also I think should be asking a person about how their mood is, how their spirits are in the usual way you would do that because generalized anxiety is probably more co-occurring with a mood disorder than not co-occurring with a mood disorder. I would ask them about how their spirits are and their mood, which I've mentioned before. I'd ask them about physical symptoms, particularly muscle tension, fatigue, irritability. A lot of people who have got generalized worry end up having traumatic events happen to them because they worry too much about The noise in life, if you get my point, they miss the signal of where risk is. And I would definitely ask about substances, particularly alcohol and marijuana. The criteria for DSM is six months. But in my experience, it is generally likely to have been many years. People generally present late. And when you ask about them, they've said they've always been like this or they've been a worrier all their life or they've had problems with worrying all their life and it might be worse now but it's been there for a long period of time the number of years people generally have had symptoms before being diagnosed is measured in years not months 
I do think it's worthwhile making sure people don't have hypothyroidism uh, and endocrine problems. That would be the big... If there's one test I would do, it would be a thyroid function test. Apart from that, I think a, a good general history and a physical examination at some point is a worthwhile thing to consider. Most of the people I see do not have chronic physical pain, disabling conditions, but you can have both disabling conditions and generalised worry, but you've got to then deal with the issues relating to their disabling condition first and modify what you're doing for GAD around that. And tell us about recent advances in diagnosis. Um, there's been revisions as we moved into DSM-5, ICD-10, ICD-11, but when you look at the core symptom cluster, it's been there for a very long time. And when we look at uh, sub-analysis and meta-analysis by diagnostic criteria, it doesn't make a difference, it's noise. So I don't think the core symptoms have changed over the last decade or so. Thanks, Chris. And what are the common pitfalls in diagnosis? Not having an index of suspicion. If you've got somebody who's got depression and they're not getting better, generalised anxiety is so comorbid it's worthwhile asking about it the same way you should be asking about if they're using substances, particularly um, alcohol, etc. I think some people are diagnosed as having musculoskeletal soft tissue injuries or chronic pain conditions when they have got generalized worry. And you, if you ask about the worry, sometimes there's resistance because people will say, I don't have an issue with worry. Why are you asking me about this? I've always worried, but what I'm really worried about is my arms are sore. Making that psychosomatic connection can be quite hard or people don't think about it because the person never mentions it so I think you've got to actively ask and the other big pitfall I think is forgetting to ask about substances a lot of people will use substances to cope with this okay that's that's really helpful let's move on to management what would you say is the mainstay of management of this condition this has been the one area where there's been a lot of controversy. In my view, the mainstay of management is some form of cognitive therapy. That can be face-to-face, -face, and I think face-to-face -face is still the gold standard of cognitive therapy. It can be digital, and this is one of the places where digital therapy is of great utility because people generally respond quite well to cognitive therapy. There are other therapies out there which have got some quite good data around them, but that's probably at the specialist level. What I tend to recommend in New Zealand, where we don't have good access to therapists in primary care, is that the practice nurse or a member of a team guide and support somebody to use one of the, the GAD digital therapy modules, which are now fairly well available. It's worthwhile looking at your local guidelines in the country you are about which are the tested and tried uh, digital cognitive therapists. And it's also worthwhile knowing 
if you can access face-to-face therapy if needs be. From the medication point of view, the serotonergic antidepressants are probably the treatment of choice. By which I mean sertraline, escitalopram, venlafaxine, the other SNRIs, if you have them available, seem to have some utility. And you have to warn people that you're probably going to get the side effects of them start at a lower dose than you normally would do. Aim for the usual dose, so if I'm using escitalopram, start them at, say, 5 milligrams, go to 10 milligrams as the usual dose, be prepared to go to 20 milligrams, and warn people it's going to take a good 8 to 12 weeks for them to see a significant change in their level of worry. A lot of people don't want to be on the medication for a long period of time, but I'd try to keep them on for at least some months when they're coping well, if they've got a good response, and then do a slow reduction. Again, a very slow reduction, not an abrupt cessation. And some people, of course, um, are influenced to stop their medication very quickly, and that can cause a rebound anxiety. If somebody does CBT and learns coping skills and deals with that, then you might be able to do a slow withdrawal. So if we went down by something like uh, 5 milligrams of the standard SSRI a month or equivalent, that would be about right. You really want to be very gentle and a little slower than you want to be. If you've got somebody who's treatment resistant and you found that they respond to a antipsychotic, for the sake of argument, sertraline, I'd be reluctant to stop it if they're tolerating it and they're getting on with life. This is something that is fairly lifelong and it waxes and wanes. Thank you, that's, that's really helpful. What are the common pitfalls in management, may I ask now? We forget that there are some people who have pure GAD because almost everybody I've seen has got GAD co-occurring with somebody else. In the New Zealand survey, which I was involved in, about 23% of the people with GAD on DSM-4 criteria had nothing else. I also think that if people aren't responding, double-check about if anything's bad happened in their life. And don't forget common things, trauma. Don't forget trauma will be a good one, but also loneliness, particularly during lockdown. Problems that the worry might be proportionate to what's going on in their life right now. And that's a different thing. I said at the very beginning, it's got to be disproportionate. And even if you can have been difficult social circumstances and have generalized anxiety, in fact, you're slightly more likely to have generalized anxiety. But if you treat the anxiety, it won't necessarily deal with the totality of the issues that somebody's got in front of them. We should pay attention to it, but we need to pay attention to the other issues in people's lives. Okay, thank you very much, Chris. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you will be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again.